Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking with Julian and Kirsten from Rich and Regular. Right, Joel. Rich and Regular is the blog of Julian and Kirsten who are documenting their journey towards financial independence. Their mission is to peel back the curtain and provide an honest, informative, and relevant take on ways you can improve your life through mastering personal finance. They have found ways to pay down massive amounts of debt and then continue to funnel those payments straight into investments. And so I'm excited that they live here in Atlanta. So we have the opportunity to sit down with them in person and for them to share their story with us. We'll talk with them here in a minute, but let's quickly mention what beer we're going to have today on the episode, Joel. All right. Yeah. Today on the show, we're drinking the last blockbuster by 10 Barrel Brewing Company. And so there literally is a last blockbuster in the United <laughs> States in Bend, Oregon. And our mutual friend here, Scott Ricken, sent us this beer. So Julian and Kirsten, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. Happy to be here. So we all know Scott, and that's because Scott has shot a documentary about the financial independence movement, and you guys were featured in it. And so, yeah, really cool that we can have a beer that Scott sent us on the show today. Yeah, I am I'm taking mental notes because Scott did not send me a beer. Oh. <laughs> so I, uh, I look forward to having that conversation with him. Yeah, he's in big trouble now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the first question we want to ask you guys is, so Matt and I on the show, we drink a beer every single week, and that's because we want to let everyone know that it's really important, even along the path of getting your finances together. It's really important to find the things that are most meaningful to you, even in the midst of that. And so like, what is your craft beer when it comes to how you handle money? For me, it's wine. <laughs> so I won't say there's nothing more relaxing than coming home from a long day at work and just having a glass of wine on my patio. But it's one of the things that just reminds me that you can escape. You can kind of drink the world through your glass. And even though I'm sitting among, you know, toddler toys and tantrums and dirty dishes, I turn on a great Spotify mix or, uh, or Apple mix and, you know, just have my glass of wine. 
Nice. Right. I wasn't actually expecting it to be alcohol related, but that's know, great that it is. That you know? <laughs> it sounds terrible that like the thing that I value is alcohol, but it's one of many. No, it's funny because, you know, she's making me think of the role that alcohol plays in our relationship. You know, I think about not even just, you know, when we would achieve financial milestones, but even for holidays and, you know, pretty much any celebration or just a random Thursday, um, you know, whenever we're celebrating, you know, that's one of the things that we do for us. We, we gift. It's almost like we call it a gift to the house, but it's really uh, typically a good bottle of wine. Yeah. So interestingly enough, just while we're on this note, you guys wrote on your blog that Yellowtail was a no-no, right? And Yellowtail, kind of a cheap Australian wine. And you, you mentioned an unwillingness to trade down on stuff like that. So I feel like that totally resonates with kind of us and our approach to money and how we talk about it on the show. So how did you decide that wine was, was something that you weren't willing to trade down on? I think we had a lot of cheap wine to get there. <laughs> like we really <laughs> tried. We tried um, Mr. Money Mustache, who's another fire blogger recommended this boxed wine, which is actually pretty good. You're like talking we, Boda Box, Black yeah, Box? Boda okay. Box, yeah. <laughs> so we tried like, I think five or six different varietals of that. And we found one that's pretty good. But after a while, like they just all start to kind of taste the same. And so we missed like the story that wines tell, like a good wine as it opens up and as you're describing the flavors and like that in and of itself is an experience. And you know, we just we just really value experiences and we couldn't get as rich of a drinking experience mm. through cheaper wines. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Joel just mentioned this, but the reason we do that, right, is, is to find balance between showing that we're enjoying life now. Uh, there's things that we are going to take time for right now. And it's not all about the someday we're going to do this. Someday we're going to reach this goal in particular, with kids, there's so much of life that's happening right now. I know that you guys have a, have a son now. And so that's a big reason why we have the beer on the show is just to... It's not like we, we don't treat ourselves enough day to day, but yeah. it's, it's a tangible way maybe for us to say, you know what? Yes, we talk about money every week on the show, but it's not all about deprivation. It's, all, it's about finding uh, your priorities and, and kind of honing in on those specific things. And from there, you can start making cuts, right? Like you're not going to make cuts when it comes to wine, but there's other things that you don't value, then maybe that's what you're going to do. Um, and that's what you talk a lot about on your blog. Is that right? Rich and regular? Yep, that's correct. So on Rich and Regular, we're documenting everyday decisions through the lens of money. So we talk about the obscure tasks of enrolling in health insurance to how we manage our son's birthday parties. We didn't have one for the record. Um, <laughs> to just how we, how we live. And what we found is that, to your point, the path to any sort of financial goal isn't always just about the big milestones. It's not about opening these accounts. It's about the everyday decisions and how they build and how they compound into freeing up more income you know, to, to invest. So yeah. Is that where the, uh, the name came from then? So rich and regular, right? So explain that a little bit. You know, I've got about three different versions of this story because I don't <laughs> really remember, but I can tell you what creeped into my mind uh, the, the, the day that it happened. And it was really a scene from Coming to America. <laughs> so nice. if you're familiar with Coming yeah, to America, there's the sexual chocolate scene. <laughs> and uh, there's a moment where the guys are clapping and he's like, that guy's good, that boy good. And he's like, he's good and terrible. Uh, and so for me, I was like, yeah, I want to be rich. I just want to be rich and regular. You know, I just want to be a regular person. You know what I mean? I don't want to be a celebrity or famous or anything like that. And I think what most people use is they use the word comfortable, but comfortable and regular is a terrible URL. So <laughs> yeah. that sounds boring. <laughs> that just sounds really, really terrible and long and clunky. So, you know, we, we came up with that name and, and it felt like something that uh, uh, we would aspire to be. And I guess in a way is who we are. So you guys write about a lot of different things on your blog. How does that translate for you guys into talking about finances with the people that are closest to you when it comes to like your family and your close friends? Does having written about this stuff and got it out kind of on paper to a certain extent, does that make it easier then to open up the conversation with other people around you? It makes it easier to open up the conversation. I think a lot of people will use what we've written on the blog as a springboard to ask a big question but it doesn't make navigating the conversation any easier because I think people just aren't used to talking about money in a casual way. And the way that we talk about it is we're not going to tell you what to do. Like we're not advisors or even experts, but what we can do is help you think through why you're making the choices that you are and ask you, how do you see this ending? And that's usually where people get uncomfortable because it lands them in a place where it's like, oh, I probably do need to change something. 
And all the things that you can change are, again, on our blog. But I don't know. It's almost like people need permission. And we're here to just serve as an example and give you that permission sort of in an indirect way to say, hey, we're still living good. We're, we're doing this. We're not depriving ourselves or splitting plies on toilet paper, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you can do this. Oh, that's great. Also on your blog, you've written about the impact that being a Black American has on your personal finances. Uh, so we want to talk about that. Some what specific struggles and views towards money do you see in the Black community? You know, we just had a meetup last night with about 10 people, I think, or so. many of them were friends, some were like followers, people that we've met along the way. And I've just been one of those people that have always been very transparent about our struggles and what we've found is consistent. And again, talking primarily about our experiences that a lot of us, though we've got the credentials, though we have the experience, we just somehow struggle to uh, attain certain levels of uh, achievement in the, the workplace, particularly what people you know call corporate America, right? When you look further up your organization, you don't see as many people of color. When you look further down, it's like, oh, there they are. Mm -hmm. And in a city like Atlanta, where you've got so many talented people, so much experience, that seems like that shouldn't be the case, but unfortunately it is. At least that was part of our experience and it was certainly the experience of a lot of our friends. And so um, what we do is we, we talk about that and workplace culture and all of those challenges and some of the things that uh, African-Americans deal with in the workplace. Uh, and, and sometimes we're telling our own stories. Sometimes we're kind of sort of telling the stories of people that we know and some of the struggles that they've gone through. But uh, what we've ultimately done is giving people another option and say, hey, there is life outside of the traditional path of going to school, getting a job and hoping to retire someday. Yeah. And if that's a struggle, honestly, in the city of Atlanta, then it's an even bigger struggle in most of the other cities in America, because there's a thriving black community here where we live in this town. And so, yeah, that's interesting to hear that perspective. What suggestions do you have for our listeners who, who might come from a, a disadvantaged economic place and who say, yeah, I see that those same issues and I don't see room for advancement for myself? How, how should they go about navigating uh, that? What sort of tips do you have for, for a listener in that, in that situation? Well, one, I would say listen to every episode of How to Money. Right? <laughs> you get to... You are hired. You are hired, right? <laughs> But no, you guys you know, talk about money in a way that I just think is really makes people comfortable, puts people at ease. I think people who talk about money a lot know just how awkward it is. And we're kind of like, I don't know, why is this so awkward? So we're like superheroes in that, in that regard. But I think the absolute best thing you can do is get out of debt. Because once you're out of debt, you got a runway, right? Now you've got a little bit more wiggle room to take some risks, maybe start a business, maybe focus on personal development and learn how to invest in real estate or just something else with the goal of creating income uh, that otherwise may not have been accessible to you. So on the note of debt, you guys have paid off $200,000 in five years. That's a ton. Yeah, that, <laughs> that yeah. is an awesome amount of debt paid off, not awesome, that like it's good that you had it, right? <laughs> but and I mean, that's a very focused amount of time as well. And so was there like an, an epiphany that you guys had? Like, was there a moment where, you know, like it clicked and you guys knew that, okay, this is something that we're going to start knocking out. Like, this is the, the new life that we're subscribing to. Yeah, I think there were a couple of them. The first milestone was when we started talking about marriage. Now, this was before we were engaged, but we were just talking about the life that we want to live as mm -hmm. married couples. And we were reading um, about marriage like nerds <laughs> you, you gotta do it <laughs> yeah. yeah we knew we didn't want to go like the traditional path of like premarital counseling so we were just trying to create like what we needed to overcome in order to feel like we were ready for marriage and so we started reading these articles and we saw that money was one of the top reasons why people were getting divorced mm -hmm. and we just wanted to take that off the table like that felt like something that was within our control that we could solve for. And so we started figuring out how do we do that? And removing debt was one of the solutions. I mean, that's so true that uh, money issues in a marriage, they're the number one reason that marriages dissolve. And so tackling that up front, thinking about it and talking about it before you even enter into marriage is so important. So yeah, anybody who's listening out there who isn't married yet, but they're getting serious or whatever, you need to start having those conversations now because it only gets more difficult once you get married, right? So on that note, $200,000 in five years, what was your mindset now that you started to have this epiphany and you're like, we don't want that to be an issue in our marriage. How did you end up going about eradicating that debt, getting rid of it? Yeah, it was really regimented. My mindset has since changed towards debt payoff after doing that for five years, but it was really regimented to the point where we'd write down our goals and we create goals for like 
six month periods or hundred day periods. They were short term. So we'd have a reason yeah. to celebrate when we hit them. That's key. Yeah, it, it is. It's super key. And so we'd write everything down, do the math. And every single time we got paid, we would reallocate that money towards our debt. And so it was, it was a system that was clicking and for the most part automated. And we just kept powering through and figuring out what we value to free up more income. Along the way, we got raises and promotions and earned more. So it became, we had a bigger shovel at some point. Yeah. Did you just funnel everything extra straight towards that debt or did you increase your lifestyle at all along the way? We did not increase our lifestyle much. In that five years, we got engaged, we got married. And there's a lot of life change We that had happens. a baby, yeah. exactly, yeah. But we tried not to, to really increase our lifestyle. Even when we had our son, we were making his food. We didn't go as far as cloth diapering because I, that's just not my... <laughs> my spirit told me yeah, I probably yeah. couldn't handle it. You're not a gift <laughs> to yeah, handle cloth gift. diapers. Yeah, <laughs> Although I will did. say they've gotten a little bit easier. They're not as bad as they were in like the that's 1980s, okay? Weird. That's what I hear. There's liners and like all kind of fun stuff, but I don't know. Just I wasn't there yet. You're right. We didn't increase our lifestyle much, but you did coin this term that I really you know, loved at the time. And you, you haven't said it much, but it was elevate the everyday, right? And uh -huh. it was like, you know, stop focusing on... Uh, all these big things. And I was like, you know what? We're going to get better. Our new standard of coffee is going to be a little better. Right. <laughs> and it was like, it's those little things. Like we're going to graduate from Yellowtail to these other wines. Right. It was the little things, the things that mattered more to us as opposed to great. I got this mm -hmm. job or not even a job. I got, uh, I accepted the offer and now I expect to have more income and I'm going to go ahead and spend the money that I don't even have yet on a new car. That's the sort of thing that we, you know, we hear a lot uh, and people do. And it's, it's one of the things that doesn't really work for you when you're looking to get out of debt. So it was like coffee, it was wine. Sheets. She's like crazy obsessed about hand soap. So <laughs> we got Can like the fancy <laughs> hand soap, which is expensive, fancier laundry detergent, you know, like those things mattered. So everything her. that smells like something, it sounds like it's <laughs> what you were really upgrading, basically. I think the goal was to like the things that you touch every day. Okay. So you're, you're touching your sheets every day, your toothpaste, your toothbrush, your coffee. Just the little stuff. The yeah. little stuff. Yeah. If you touch it every day, hmm. then yeah, we should try to like, tweak it up a little bit. And yeah. those are such minor upgrades that they don't really cost that much in the grand scheme of thing when you're looking at your overall budget. Those small upgrades cost way less when you're talking about over the course of a year than the extra payments even on on a, a slightly newer car, right? A, a slightly better car. But they're these things that are tactile and they feel really good all the time. Well, yeah. They improve the at-home experience, yeah. right? And if you can do that and you feel more comfortable at home, whether it's cooking at home or just having more date nights in, those sorts of things really, really help. And I guess that was our strategy. It's not like we planned that, but that was really our strategy. And I think particularly when you're living small, because that's like one of the best things you could ever do is like not get the big house, wait, continue to live small, the goal was to live small for as long as we can and continue to bank those raises, continue to pay off debt. And once we were done with that, we could then start moving on to the next level. So you mentioned elevating the everyday. A lot of folks who are more maybe hardcore on not letting their, their life uh, continue to expand might hear that and call that lifestyle creep. To you guys, what is the difference between lifestyle creep and what, what you call uh, yeah elevating the everyday? I think lifestyle creep is when you elevate your lifestyle at a faster pace than your income. What we're talking about is giving yourself room to evolve and enjoy things differently as you grow. And so this idea of keeping a fixed income forever and ever doesn't give you room to find out that you don't like being ashy anymore or that you don't enjoy <laughs> yellowtail as much as other things. And so that's one of our you know, keys for success is, is being open-minded to let each other change. Julian decided that he wanted to grow his hair out recently, which means he now has to purchase different hair products. Gotta get that nice stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. The afro gotta stay glistening. And so... <laughs> She's just taking it back to coming to America. Yeah. So. yeah, so that means we have to make room in our budget for male hair care products along with mine. And I, I wouldn't consider that lifestyle creep. It's elevating the way that he feels about himself and you know his confidence level and making sure those and stay moisturized. Yeah. <laughs> so, My soul is glowing. Yeah. <laughs> Making sure the soul glow is in stock. I love it. So anyway, yeah, it's just giving yourself room to evolve and, and like different things. And so what about maybe doing less of something, but enjoying the good parts more? I think that's a really important thing that people can gravitate towards as well. So maybe you were drinking a couple bottles of wine a week and then you say, you know what? We're going to drink two bottles of wine a month, but we're going to drink the good stuff. 
It doesn't necessarily cost you more in the budget every single month, but you are taking that time to instead really, really appreciate the good stuff as opposed to just doing things more often. Yes, that that has been true for us. We didn't know that going into it, but you're absolutely right. Now it feels like a special occasion and you don't want to dilute that experience by having it every single day. Mm -hmm. Like I really want to look forward to this great bottle of wine. And even though I only get it once a week, I know it's dope and that's all I need it. We're kindred spirits, man. You also drink slower when it's the good stuff. Yes, yes. exactly. You, you want to savor it, it. You want to enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. So quickly, let's move back to that debt that you paid off. I right? want to keep talking about Julian's hair, though. <laughs> 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 I'm all about the hair care products. Joel doesn't rock the products quite as much, but you as know, you, for this you volume, it, it takes a little bit of work here. <laughs> but part of that $200,000 was your uh, house, was the house that you guys used to live in. Was that more of an emotional decision? Was it a numbers-based sort of thing? I would love to hear how you approached making that decision and yeah, actually making it happen. Yeah, so it was also a bit of buyer's remorse mixed up in there too, right? So I bought that house, uh, it was a townhouse in Marietta in 2006, I believe. Oh no, 2007, 2008 happened and it was completely, you Ouch. know, the, yeah. the value of that home uh, dropped up in about, to about half. Uh, and so I remember reading a Warren Buffett quote. It was something to the effect of, uh, you know, smart people just never lose money. And I just felt, you know, it was almost like a bit of stubbornness in me. I was like, you know what? I am not going to lose money on this deal. So that was part of my commitment to just hold on to that thing. And I wouldn't recommend everybody do that, but I was willing to do that. And then when we met, we decided to uh, stay in that house and renovate that house as opposed to saying, you know what, now that we're together, let's just move up, which is, again, the very typical path. Now that we're in a relationship, let's go, you know, buy a house that's three times our uh, our income. Yeah, let's go house shopping this let's weekend. Let's go house baby. shopping. Yeah. We said, no, let's let's think about this for a second. Let's stay here and then let's elevate the everyday. We got to trademark that. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Like, I don't want to take credit that it was my Before friend. you trademark it, make sure it's not already <laughs> trademarked. But our goal was to stay there make living at that house at the time I want to say it was 1400 square feet a bit more comfortable which allowed us to stay there for about three four more years now to your question about paying off the debt on that home there was another layer to that and it was really because my mother is what you would consider financially insecure and so that's something that we factor into our lifestyle and I said you know what if nothing else I need to own a home or somewhere where she can live and not have to worry about anything. And so we made a point to do that. She's in a much better position now than she was before. And so, you know, everybody's happy. You know, she's uh, in a home that she enjoys now. We have a second rental property and we're now in a better home uh, than we were before. So it all worked out. All right, so we want to get into kind of rental property investing a little bit with you guys later on in the show. But right after the break, we want to talk about kids and how that affects your journey towards getting your money game together. And also, Julian, you recently wrote an article about how your pursuit of financial independence has impacted your ability to be a good dad. And so, yeah, let's talk about that right after the break. Sounds good. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, 
You already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Joel, we are back. And again, we're here with Kirsten and Julian from Rich and Regular. Uh, guys, we're going to talk some now about lifestyle, relationships kind of stuff. Uh, y'all have got a little boy, right? Yes. Yeah. What's his name? Bo. Bo. That's cute. I love Thank it. Thank you. On the show, we talk a lot about the why behind our money. And so for you guys, we haven't really talked about just flat out, like what was your why, right? But I want to kind of place that though in the context of when you had your son, did that why change or did it change more maybe when you two got married? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that the why changed because our why was always generational wealth and just sort of evolving our family tree so that people that came after us would have a different start. But after I had Bo, I realized how many decisions that you make along raising a child that are dependent on money or involve money as a factor. And I realized it just became super clear that generational wealth isn't just about leaving money behind. It is truly about the way that you raise your children, mm-hmm. how present you can be, the energy that you have for them, how patient you can be. And it became more clear as to why we were doing this, why we needed to move, remove money as a stressor in our lives, because it allows us to be truly present and patient with a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Toddlers require yes, a lot. Yes, yeah. There are also, at the same time, when you have a young child, there are these extra financial challenges, right? We talked recently, Matt, on the show about how having kids is expensive. It's not as expensive as everyone says it's going to be. How have you guys managed to continue to maintain a real focused uh, attitude towards saving and investing money once you had a kid? So it's interesting you asked that question because I, you know, it's bringing me back to 2017, which is when we paid off uh, the mortgage on our old home. One of the reasons we did that, one of the other reasons I should say we did that was because we wanted to normalize the spending on our budget, right? So it's like, all right, let's get rid of the mortgage. And once you add a kid to the mix, you know, we won't really feel it as much. Whereas if we kept that, we would really, really feel Mm -hmm. it. It would stretch the budget that much more. Uh, And so, yeah, we didn't really feel it. Uh, But I would also say our son sort of taught us what he liked. And he likes to pick up sticks in the park. (laughs) He doesn't like things that make a lot of noise. He doesn't like big, scary, you know, things that light up. He likes to pick up sticks in the park. No monster truck shows for him yet? Oh, he's just starting to get into trucks. But again, you know, he likes what he likes. And so he taught us, he's like, you know what? There's nothing better than a stick or, uh, you know, a box. (laughs) He really likes boxes. And so, hey, here's a box. And it's like 99 cents. 
<laughs> or it came it's from an Amazon yeah, package exactly. or something like that. And he will go nuts for about 20, 30 minutes. And that's all you can ask for. So those there are tons of other ways besides, you know, spending a bunch of money on toys or certainly dressing your kid up as some sort of GQ model. We don't do that. But we're also really grateful because we've got tons of generous family and friends that, you know, like to buy things for him. And so we really haven't had to buy a lot of those things. Yeah, I think we were very intentional even around the baby shower, around like what we registered for and around his first birthday, we were pretty intentional around sort of what we explained that he was into. We told people that we would love, you know, previously loved items if you had toys that your children had grown out of. And so we just level set all the people around us. So he's never been around a ton of stuff, which to Julian's point, he shows us what he gravitates to. And it's not toys because he's not immersed in toys all the time. Being immersed in toys as a parent, it just starts to get overwhelming because you've got to pick it up, especially when you have a yes. young kid. Yep. And so the the smaller you can keep that toy closet, I think the more intently they play with the few toys that they have. And then there's like less stuff on the parent to, to figure out how to clean all that crap up. Exactly. So let's get to that article that Joel mentioned, Julian, that you wrote about being a father, how being smart with your money has affected how you are able to parent. Can you share some about that? Yes. So as Kirsten mentioned, you know, I remember very clearly when our son was born and this is almost embarrassing, but I'd never even thought about a paternal leave policy until those moments. And when I didn't have it, it was very revealing of the sort of world that we lived in. Uh, And I knew the sort of father that I wanted to be. I guess the term is active father, which I just think is father. (laughs) You know, like I just want to be a dad. (laughs) I just want to help out. Um, And it's it's kind of weird because I I get, even till this day, complimented for doing things that I think are uh, pretty normal. Like they should be normal. They should be normal. And so it was very revealing. I had no intentions on exploring fatherhood. Uh, I had plans on exploring financial independence, but it sort of led me down this path of really thinking about how fathers and uh, the role that fathers play in this world. And so I wanted nothing more than to just be there for my son during the first couple of months. Uh, But I had to bum, you know, uh, a week from uh, a great boss who sort of did me, you know, threw me a bone and said, hey, here's a week because I've been where you are. And I was like, why do we have to do this? Like, why can't I just be there? for my son and for my wife. And so I'd come home and she'd be exhausted because she'd been with, with him. But, you know, it even made me think about her policy because she had to stitch together, you know, vacation and personal time and all these little things. And so it was really eye-opening to me um, the sort of environment uh, or situation that we put ourselves in as employees. And that's not to knock jobs, but, you know, what comes with that are a given set of rules that don't necessarily work for all aspects of your life. And so uh, we wrote the article about, financial independence with a focus on fatherhood, because the more uh, and the deeper that we get into this uh, movement, we have really great conversations with guys and it's uncovering that it's one of the underlying reasons why a lot of guys are pursuing it is because they've come to the same realization that I did. And most people, if they don't have their financial ground game together, they, they have no options when their employer says, sorry, there isn't a leave policy. Sorry, you don't even get a week. And I hate to see that for folks because yeah, it is such an important time to be able to, to support each other as spouses, to be able to spend time with your newborn baby. And the thing is, if you do have a modicum of savings, if you kind of have something to, to lean back on, you have at least more choices when it comes to that. And you can, you can tell your employer, listen, this is, this is the path I have to take. And you, you know, we can come to a decision either way, what, you know, what that means, what that looks like. But if you don't have any savings, like you, don't, you don't have anything to fall back on in the case where you really feel like that's the decision you need to make. You can't even make it. Absolutely. And so to clarify, Julian, so you quit your full-time job and you work full-time on the blog, on the site. Is that right? That's correct. Awesome. And so Kirsten, you're the primary breadwinner. Yes. Uh, So how does having Julian at home, how does that affect your life? Uh, Being gone all day and Kirsten, you're able to take some maternity leave. But after that, right, the the role sort of flipped and you're able to go back to work. I would love to hear sort of your perspective on having uh, a stay-at-home dad. It's been great, honestly. Uh, I'm I'm jealous of um, uh, his life right now. Lots of sports center or no? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have cable. Oh, there we go. Okay. No, it's been great, and it's a conversation that I look forward to having with a lot of women because what it's forced me to do is unlearn some of the habits and traits that I've been taught by watching other women executives or even my own mother in terms of how they work with their spouse, how they partner with their spouse and the division of emotional labor and actual Mm. household labor. 
Um, so it's been great. It's been a learning experience for me. Julian often has to remind me to take care of myself and to make sure that I'm getting the time that I need because at times it still feels like I have three jobs. I go to my regular job and then I come home and work on Rich and Regular and then I'm a, a mom and a wife and a sister and a daughter and I've got all these roles that I have yeah. to play. I know I'm not in the minority of breadwinners. I just read an article recently that said 80% of black women or women of color are breadwinners. And the way that they define that is they're either the sole income provider for the household or they contribute 40% or more of that household's income. And so even before Julian left his job, I was a breadwinner. And that comes with a level of pressure and, and time and energy that's required to, to maintain that. And since he's left, I've you know, a lot has freed up, which has been great. So Julian, you are, you're at home, but you're working too, right? You have your own full-time job, really creating and maintaining this blog. So, so it's not like, like I alluded to, not like you're watching sports center all day, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and you're, you're taking your son to daycare. You're picking him up. Like you're very active. You're letting him go to the park and pick up sticks. Cause that's what he loves to do. What's that been like though, for you too, transitioning out of the regular workforce to work on your own thing and to kind of be that home presence for your family? Yeah. So I would say working on the blog is, is a job. Uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, and I was even surprised by uh, how much work it is to maintain it, to keep it up, to engage with people, uh, and certainly to be intentional about trying to grow your audience. So it's been a lot of work. It's allowed me to tap into more parts of my brain uh, than I was when I was in some of my older roles. So we didn't talk much about your sort of personal story, like how you guys met and your backgrounds there. But I have read and I've seen how you two have very different backgrounds when it comes to how you handle money. I would love to hear how your differences and how those have continued to help you guys get to where you are now. Yeah. So I think the biggest difference between Julian and I is that I'm a natural spender and he's a natural saver. <laughs> and so... That comes from my upbringing. I grew up in a middle-class household with two working parents, and we vacationed every year, and it was very much like a sitcom, like Family <laughs> Matters, like not quite the Huxtables. It's on TGIF, but, right there. Yeah, I something it. you'd see on TV. I went to college, and in my 20s, I was great at doing the career thing, and so I spent every dollar plus <laughs> sum that I made, but I could always earn more, and so that was my logic. I can always earn more. And so I spent a lot of time just kind of climbing up the ladder and making a lot of money and then spending a lot of money. And so when I met Julian, he was the first person to sort of call that game into question and say, how do you see this ending? Like he was the one who made me project my reality out to the future. And every time I would say, oh, I'm just going to keep getting promoted, he would make me look at pictures of boards and CEOs and vice presidents and say, do you see anybody that looks like you? You are very confident in this decision, but like the reality is there is, you know, unfortunately a ceiling there unless you take things into your own hands with like your own business or something else. And so he was the first person that kind of brought the conversation to reality for me. And since then, we've sort of balanced each other out. Like I've taught him how to spend on the things that matter, like coffee and wine and sheets. And he's taught me how to save on, you know, and be responsible and be a responsible earner. And so even though I still earn a lot of money, I don't spend all of it, which is great. You guys have also written on your blog about a no questions asked fund. So what does that look like in, in your marriage? And what made you decide to implement something like that? I think she should ask the, uh, answer that question because I, I, I still don't spend money. I struggle with spending money. So, so it's like you have this fund set aside, Julie. It's but more like Kirsten's no, no question asked fund. Okay. So within our budget, I used to overthink it. I used to have a bunch of different categories that would outline a bunch of different things. And Julian's approach was to keep it simple. Like, let's just create six or seven big, broad categories around household, utilities. But one of those categories is a no question asked category where we each have a sum of money, a couple hundred dollars. Well, at least mine is. <laughs> <laughs> Julian's is like 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that he spends his. I might I don't. spend it, but... <laughs> But it's really for those things. There's there's just a cost of of womanhood. And I don't want to have to explain it all the time. Like hair removal has a cost. Beauty has a cost. Facials have a cost. And I just didn't feel like explaining what was behind it. It was just like, you just need to give me the money I need to make sure that the feminine energy in this house is maintained. 
And I didn't mean to say all sassy like that. <laughs> it wasn't an argument. We're but laughing, it, but Julian's not laughing yeah. right now. He's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> it, it wasn't an argument. It was just, it was a distraction to our conversation about money because it put me on the defense and hmm. I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to say, you enjoy these things every day. And that's, you know, this is what it costs to have them there. You know, that's interesting because when my wife and I first got married, we didn't have a budget because I had been used to not budgeting. I was so frugal, kind of like you, Julian. And I just, I just had the hardest time spending money. And most of it got funneled into saving for the, you know, a rental home. It got uh, funneled into my 401k. And so I, I was living lean. And when we, when we got married, we had to kind of find the same language. We had to have the same terminology in order to, to actually propel us towards the goals that we wanted to have. And a budget was necessary for us at that time to kind of avoid fights. Yep. And we did have to have something similar to this where we each had a certain amount of money that we could spend every month where I couldn't question our choices. And because it is true when I think when you're the, the cheap person in the relationship, you're the frugal one that, that you have to give your partner some of that leeway, some of that ability to run and spend money in the ways that they want to without you know, hurting the end game. Yeah, I think just, you know, adding you can almost put a, a a dollar value on the tension that you want to add to your home. I was like, really? Like you want to sit and have a 20 minute argument about, you know, thirty dollars. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't care what that thing is, uh, you know, <laughs> but if, if it makes you happy, then then so be it. And so long as you sort of achieve the overarching goal, were we able to achieve our savings goal for that month? That's really all I cared about. Yeah, Julian, you can't put a price on peace uh, at home. So after the break, we're going to talk about some more practical takeaways. We're going to talk about earning more money. Kirsten, you are really good at that. We're also going to talk about food. Julian, you are a trained professional chef. So we're going to talk about ways to save money by cooking at home. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash money. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back with Julian and Kirsten from Rich and Regular, and I'm really interested to hear about earning more, especially about your rental homes. But before we get to that, Julian, I think the thing I'm most curious about today in this conversation is to know more about your cooking skills. And you were trained as a chef. So cooking at home has really allowed for you guys to save a ton of money, but you actually eat really well when you're doing that. So tell us more about your chef skills and kind of maybe a few good recipes for our listeners out there that they can make on the cheap. You are aging me uh, because <laughs> I graduated from culinary school 20 years ago. Oh, wow. 1999. Dang. I went straight out of high school, literally two weeks after high school graduation, I started culinary school and banged out that program. And I worked uh, in professional kitchens for about seven, eight years. Uh, and then I moved to the front of the house and then I moved into corporate. But like my entire corporate career or professional career has been in the hospitality industry. And so food is a really, really big part of our life. And uh, it really has been like our secret weapon. And again, going back to staying home and then spending more time at home, it's one of the things that uh, we've certainly taken advantage of. And so if we want to have a nice steak night, We'll have a nice steak night at home, but we certainly don't have to pay. Um, I don't want to name drop any Atlanta restaurants, but we don't have to pay <laughs> those really crazy steak knife prices. And, you know, my wife is from Texas. And so I had to certainly make sure that I knew how to make a good steak. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I enjoy cooking. Surprisingly, I also enjoyed making uh, our son's baby food, which was another really great hack for us. I think. When I would tell that to people, they would look at me like I was absolutely crazy. But it's one of the best things that we've ever done. And so when he was you know, younger, we would make these little purees and he would really enjoy them. Um, but I found it really useful to uh, introduce him to a wider variety of flavors and textures at a very early age uh, so yes. that it just made our life easier. Yes. So if we're traveling or if we're just you know, just living our lives, we know that he's not going to be a chicken finger and French fry baby. He has been introduced to a wider variety of flavors. It's also healthier for him just to um, to be able to have more home cooked meals. We know exactly what he's eating. And so it's really, uh, it's been a really uh, cool thing to do. And I completely agree with you as far as feeding your kids what you want them to eat, not what they want right there in the, in the instant, right? Right there in the moment. Because right there in the moment, they want the air puffed rice crackers and yes. with whatever, you know, they don't know better. Exactly. <laughs> they don't know better. They, they see the, something packaged uh, and delivered to them as a little consumer. And I feel like even at that age, you start learning uh, how to consume according to the society and the culture that we live in versus approaching it, Julian, just like you said, where food is central to your culture as a family. And instead of sort of aligning yourself to the way the world eats, this is how we eat. These are our foods. Not only is it affordable, but man, it does make your life easy because you don't have to make multiple meals. I, I hear about how there's families who do that. Whoever's cooking might have to make four or five different meals depending on how many different special diets are in the family. And when my wife hears that, she kind of like breaks out in high. She freaks out because that is not how we roll. And to think that she would have to do something like that really stresses her out. And so we did the exact same thing. We did the purees, blended all different sorts of flavors that made sense to her. Uh, she didn't really follow any recipes, but she thought, what are some flavors that make sense combined together? Where can nutrition come from? Let's stick that in baby's mouth and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see what they like. Um, and, you know, you can also there's certain, you know, not to get into a food conversation, but there are certain foods that I sort of think of as a vessel to introduce other foods or other flavors. And so our son loves applesauce. 
but he may not necessarily have enjoyed blackberries. So the great way to introduce blackberries to him is to blend blackberries yeah. into the applesauce. And that sounds then, good. Yeah, and then you slowly <laughs> sort really of, yeah, you incorporate that into it. And then he's like, oh, well, he's accustomed to that sort of flavor and that texture. And then you can start introducing other things or, you know, because blackberries can be kind of grainy, mm-hmm. right? And so, but now that he's gotten over that hump, we don't have a problem introducing other fruits that might, you know, be texturally uh, confusing for him. So you were trained as a chef, but probably most people out there listening don't have any formal training when it comes to, to cooking food. Do you have any tips for them, for people who are like, man, I know how to use a stove. I know how to put a frying pan on there and toss something in, whatever, but I'm not necessarily a great cook. Yeah. Like, are there some kind of simple ways for them to get started? Ways that would just make cooking at home a little bit easier? I certainly understand. Uh, and this is not to throw shade to my wife, you know, <laughs> but she was very overwhelmed in the kitchen and she gets overwhelmed. Like it freaks her out. It's like, whereas I get super comfortable and it's like being at home for me, I'm at home when I'm in the kitchen. So I would say one tip is just focus on one cooking technique and go from there. Don't worry about grilling roasting, baking and all of those things. Just learn how to saute, right? Get a good saute pan, learn how to saute and Build the recipes that you try around that particular cooking technique. And once you do that, you can diversify the sort of foods that you offer or that you enjoy at home. And we think that's really important because one of the things that we believe is that uh, when you're on that debt payoff journey, eating terrible food just makes that experience that much more miserable. And so we've learned that if you can find ways to treat yourself or just eat better food uh, while you're on that debt payoff journey. Uh, it's one of those things that makes that entire experience a little easier and you're less likely to fall off the wagon. So saving money, right? Cooking, that's a great way that you're able to save money. Kirsten, I want to pitch this to you. You uh, are able to earn a lot of money. You, you've been really good at getting raises. I've heard Julian just mention how good you are at that specific skill. I want to hear how you do it. Like, what are your tips? What are your tricks? Is it just doing an incredible job or is there a level of confidence that you have when it comes time for these, these meetings where you have your reviews? I think it's about remembering that work is done by people. And so I'm fortunate in that what I studied in college was uh, management and society, which is like a business degree, but done out of the sociology department. And so it taught me about business through people, achieving results through people. And so one of my keys is to success is to remember that everybody is a person and has a story. And I think a lot of people get caught up when they go to work because there are only certain images of what professional looks like. It's very similar to rich where there's like five images of what a rich person looks Hmm. like. And so when you come in and you're not that, you just assume that you can't be that. When you're talking about work or corporate America, there's like three images of what like a successful woman looks like or a successful person looks like. And I just chose to ignore that. And I focus on people. I get to the heart of their story I get them to describe their problem. I get them to talk to me often about what kind of solution they're looking for. And then it's pretty easy to deliver on what they're asking for and they will pay you handsomely for that. (laughs) (laughs) The other like more tactical, practical advice that I would give is to take notes. I see so many people going through their work day and they never take a single note. And the game is out there for free. Like executives are giving you the cheat code through these annual reports and through town halls and all hands meetings. They're telling you exactly what the company is focused on, where the you know opportunities are, but nobody writes it down. And I think people give themselves credit that they'll remember, but writing it down hmm. and knowing how to say it exactly how they say it and knowing how to frame your question the way that they're framing the problem is another way to just get noticed and kind of be tapped to resolve big issues. That's really interesting. I think when you write something down, first off, it sticks in your brain. Yes. And then second off, it keeps that forefront of mind that, oh, this is what my company is all about. I think at the same time, then you have to be willing to be a person that doesn't say, this isn't my job. That's not my responsibility. And when you're in a company and you want to get that raise, you want to get that promotion, you want to move up, you have to be someone who's willing to, to tackle something that isn't necessarily in your job description, but make it part of your job description for the sake of, of changing and growing and, and moving up, right? Yes. And then as you're having conversations with people, you start to reveal things about your life, like the fact that I have a son and that being at home is really important to me. So that when you get these promotions, the boundary, like the foundation for the boundaries is already there. You don't have to have the hard conversation of, look, I'm not going to be working 80 hour weeks because they know that about me. We've had this conversation about how much I value my time and time with my family. And so it just makes it a lot more organic and so that you're not being placed in positions or roles that you're really not ready for or that aren't suited for your lifestyle. Because that's the other part. Like, don't get too ambitious because, 
you know, it could it could bite you in the butt. Can take over your life. Exactly. Yeah, and at the core of this as well, you're talking about just being human. Yeah. Like you're talking about <laughs> hearing people's stories and listening to them and showing empathy and just connecting with them on a real level. And yeah, it's it's a lot of times it's not about the the tips and the tricks and you know what sort of strategies are you implementing. It's just about being a human being and listening. Very similar to like money advice, where it's like, where's the easy button? Like, <laughs> yeah, what, can, what can I do right what now? Can I do right now yes. to have my retirement saved, and it's like actually it's a number of things. And it takes work, a long time. It takes a long time. Work is is very similar. All right. So when it comes to earning more too, you guys have invested in rental properties. And that's something Matt and I have talked about a lot on the show, something we're super into. We're small time landlords ourselves. Uh, what's that been like for you? How many homes do you have? And then I want to hear too about how you manage them. Are you guys managing them yourselves? How does that work? Yeah. So rental properties, uh, we go back and forth, you know, when we think about, man, what are we going to do with the next, you know, sort of large sum of money? Are we going to get another rental? Um, or are we going to, you know, sort of do something else, but we have now two rental properties. And so we bought the first one in 2014. Well, the second one was basically our old primary residence, which we turned into our second rental, but the experience has been great. I think the best 8% that we've ever spent has been for our management company. You know, we believe in being able to pay for a service that we place a good value on. And we've been really fortunate to have some good properties. We chose well. We chose a good neighborhood uh, where our homes are. And we've enjoyed about a steady, I'd say about 80% occupancy rate over the last couple of years. But I've, I've learned that I really enjoy receiving rental checks. <laughs> it's, it's like my favorite sort of, uh, you know, pop-up email uh, that I get. It's like, ah, yes. It's incredibly tangible. It really is. Right? It really is. But I'll also say, and I didn't ask for a tip or anything like that, but while I, we bought the first home in 2014, mentally that process started like two hour, two years rather uh, before. We were doing research. We were reading up on what was going to happen in the area. We were just learning about real estate investing. Uh, we were, you know, going to local meetups and you know, joining online forums and doing everything that we could to learn as much as we could, so that we can get over the hurdle of being really afraid of taking that first step. And from there, it just got a little easier. Yeah, I don't think you wake up one day and say. I think I'm gonna be a real estate investor and, and just go all in like the next month. Right. It really does take a lot of time. And, and I think it's really sage advice to, to take that time to get to know your neighborhood, to get to understand the process, to get to understand kind of you know, how deep you want to go into that. And just like you were talking about when it comes to cooking, specializing in learning how to saute and maybe catering all your meals around that. I think in the same way when it comes to real estate investing, if you can cater your investing style towards one specific way of doing it, uh, that can be really helpful because then you don't have to learn all the terminology. You don't have to learn all the ways to invest in real estate. You can say, you know what? I'm going to specialize in single family homes within this radius. And that really helps you to kind of nail things down. And you can really figure out that specific market and that specific method of investing. And it feels a lot less daunting, I think, when you tackle it that way. Absolutely. I completely agree. Okay. We're talking about investing. And so in addition to your real estate, uh, y'all have also in the past at points, were investing close to 70% of the money you're making of your income. That is insane to most folks. That is an incredibly high savings rate. Uh, how did you guys get there? Were you basically saving that much right when you started sort of saving? What did that trajectory look like then? Yeah, we definitely didn't start with this. Okay, I didn't think so. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. It came through a combination of cutting expenses. So when we paid off our mortgage, that was mm. you know our largest expense that went away. And at the same time, I was also getting promoted. And so we had growth at both ends. We had lower expenses and higher income. And so we would just take those things and throw them at the at the investments. I would add we also left no stone unturned. Uh, we were having a conversation with a friend last night, and I, I realized that we just got cable internet. We didn't have cable internet. We had DSL for years. Whoa. You know? People laughed at <laughs> us and would say, that's crazy. But I can also tell you with confidence, we had a Nest. We had an Amazon Echo, four iPhones, an iPad two Apple TVs and had no issues hmm. with streaming, you know, uh, or, or any issues with uh, connectivity at all. And so 
DSL still works. Yeah. <laughs> it's significantly cheaper than, you know, I, I like to think of cable internet as like the, uh, the Rolls Royce of internet, you know, but you don't need it. You don't need to have cable internet. You know, you certainly don't need Google, Google fiber. Um, but you know, there are all of these other sort of ways to do it. Now, I don't know that I would go as far as dial up. I don't even know if you can still get dial up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope get not. that AOL CD in the mail, right? throw it in your computer, see what I happens. Still, <laughs> I still remember that noise though, man. Yeah. That the worst. That's so classic. Good. It's going to come back. Um, but, but the point is we didn't, leave any stone unturned we looked at even the things that we felt that you know it wasn't like let's find the least expensive cable internet package it was like no there are actually other ways to get internet and dsl is still widely available yeah i love that concept of leaving no stone unturned and you know that's kind of too what what this podcast is about it's like let's look at all these stones because there's so many of them and in our current financial world there's there's no shortage of things that we have to learn it's gotten more complex really and so we have to learn about you know the stones that we have to turn over about uh, low cost index investing we have to kind of learn all the stuff that, that has to deal with that and then we have to learn about you know monthly bills how to cut it there's so many of them there's cell phones and there's home internet and there's all these things that we can tackle ways to reduce our, our outgoing and then you know increase how much we're funneling towards investments and hopefully most of us can get closer to that like 70% rate that you guys were able to hit for a while which is just incredible but it takes learning it takes knowing those things are out there and I think Part of the problem is is people don't know that and, and there's no one out there to teach them no one out there to to let them know and so I, I love that you guys are also out there teaching you're doing the teaching based on the things that you've learned because you had to learn through kind of hard-earned grit and figure it out and so yeah i love that you're sharing your story with other people and we really appreciate you guys coming on the show today oh, thank, thank you. you man it's been a great time but before we let you guys go let's talk about this beer real quick we always do sort of a, a the wrap up at the end and we talk about the beer uh, normally our guests will, we kind of let them go at this point, but since you guys are sitting here with us enjoying the same beer that we are, you guys are wine drinkers. Does it compare at all to, uh, to wine? For me, it compares more to like a bourbon a little bit, like not as heavy and smoky as a bourbon, but like, I don't, I don't have good beer language. <laughs> it's like, it's like sort of cocoa, cinnamon, licorice. Oh yeah. That doesn't really sound appetizing, but it works, <laughs> it works for some reason. Yeah, the beer that we're drinking on the show today, by the way, is 10 Barrel Brewing Company's The Last Blockbuster. And that's literally like we said at the beginning of the show, because there is one literal final standing blockbuster in the nation in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, Julian, what were your thoughts on this beer? I thought it was pretty good. And I hate when people do this with wine, but I'm going to do it with beer because I, like Kirsten, I don't have the <laughs> language. But it reminds me of actually one of my favorite beers, which is Monday Night Drafty, Drafty Kills. I feel you. It does remind me it of that. It does have Drafty yes. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's dark, but it's kind of got that ale, that dark ale quality to it. And I mean, I, as soon as you started saying Monday night, uh, we love those guys, by yeah. the way. They make awesome beers. But yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. And again, the reason we have this beer is Scott Rickens. He sent this to us. He directed the film that you guys are in. Y'all are featured in Playing With Fire and documents Scott's journey towards financial independence. Him uh, with his wife, Taylor, and their daughter, Jovi. You guys want to share your, uh, what your experience was with that, being in that, in that film? Uh, we had a great time. Uh, we... Shot, I believe, in one of our favorite cities in the world, Portland, Oregon. We had a great time. It was quick. Um, we ate and drank our way through Portland like we always nice. do uh, and came back. And we actually just had an opportunity to get a sneak peek of the film. Uh, well, not a sneak peek. We saw the whole thing uh, at the premiere. Uh, and it was really just great sort of seeing it all come together. I know Scott and the rest of the team worked really, really hard on it. Uh, it was also kind of weird seeing yourself on a screen, <laughs> um, but it's exciting and we're looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing it again and more importantly, uh, looking forward to the film, really uh, introducing the fire movement and its principles uh, to a wider audience. Yeah, those principles are ones that you guys exemplify really well. And yeah, I'm excited to, to see how other people react and hopefully the way it can change lives. So, so speaking of that, how can people find out more about you guys? Where, where can they go to read the, the awesome stuff that Rich and Regular has to offer? So our website is www.richandregular.com. And then we also have an Instagram, a Twitter, and a Facebook page all under the handle Rich and Regular. And we recently started a Pinterest page. So we have Ooh. one of those too. You guys are fancy. Cover all your bases. Yeah. Well, guys, we really appreciate y'all y'all being here with us, joining us at the table, sharing a beer, sharing life together. This has been a lot of fun. But for real, I think we're going to see you guys a lot more here in Atlanta. And we're looking forward to more hangs in the future. Yay. Cheers to that. Yeah. All right, buddy. That was a real fun episode. I, I enjoyed meeting and hanging out with Julian and Kirsten. Yeah, so guys, go check out their site, richandregular.com. And if you want show notes for this episode, you can check out our website, which is howtomoney.com. And if you found this episode helpful, we would love to hear from you guys. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. 
that would be awesome. And Joel, until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.